Hey, loves. Yay. Hey. We're live on both Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. And I can't wait to introduce you all to my friend Day. Day. So we're going to just take a couple minutes, let people gather. And for those of you that are on Instagram right now, waving, you can't see Day here. Well, let's just share. There's Day. Wave to Instagram. You can't even see. There we go. <laughs> so jump on over to Facebook or YouTube. So it's uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash heatherash.amara and YouTube is youtube.com slash heatherashamara if you want to watch live. And I'm just going to wave at the Instagram people and say hello. All right. So those of you Facebook and YouTube, this is a really, really, really special edition of Warrior Goddess Revolution podcast because we're live. And we're live with one of my most favoritest people on the planet. Day! <laughs> and it's a really special day for day. So, okay, I'm going to jump off. Well, I'll just leave Instagram, whatever. Um, you can be part. So it's a very, very, very special day because it's a book birthday. And I love book birthdays so much. And I love your book day. So I'm really, really grateful that you took the time to come on live and to share a little bit more about you and your book. And beloveds, I met Day. Um, 45 years ago, something like that, through a mutual friend of ours, Matthew Stillman. And Matthew one day was like, hey, you should look at my friend Day's Instagram page. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he pulls it up and he hands me Instagram and I start weeping because the beauty and the care and the art that I see on morning altars which was, is day, um, just touched my heart so, so, so deeply. And then I, we got to meet in person and fall in love and yay, do all the things together. So day's newest book, which comes out now, you have it, yes, day, is called Hello, Goodbye. And it's about ritual, ceremony, creating transition and honoring of change. Boy, kind of perfect for now. Yeah. And um, just really briefly before I bring Day on, when I was in my 20s, I decided I was going to write a book called The Ritual Cookbook. And I was really excited about it. And I never wrote it. But Day did. <laughs> so I love that that vision actually landed. I mean, it wasn't obviously my vision. That was a spirit vision. But that yeah. day you felt that call of the importance of ceremony and ritual of how it transformed your life and then put the hours and years and energy into crafting a book that's so important for these times. And I'd love for you to share big picture, the inspiration for what, for the book and then what you went through to bring this book here, because it was a lot, every chapter, there was stuff that you yeah. had to navigate. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll answer your question in reverse. Please. Um, the, the book was written pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was 
hilarious that I was writing a book about change as my entire world and as the world itself changed. Um, within one week, Heather Ash, you know, you know, I lost like all of my employment. Um, my grandmother was hospitalized with COVID. My mother's mental health declined. You know, she has dementia and with all within like a month's time, you know, just the whole ground shifted out on, under me. And I was writing this book about change and ritual. And so it just, it became very personal, you know, and, and more, and obviously like I'm interested in helping people, but it became very personal for me as to like, how do I stay sane? How do I stay oriented and centered? Um, how do I grieve? in a time of change. And the best answer that I have ever been taught and that I teach is to ritualize those moments of change because they orient us from what was towards what is. And if we don't mark those moments, we still continue living our lives groping for what, what was right? We're trying to always climb back to what's what was normal or the relationship we were in or the person we were or the job we had, whatever, the past. And rituals are moments of discernment. They help us discern this is no longer that. And so, you know, for me, I needed a lot of that when I first started it because my world changed so dramatically. And so I found myself doing a ritual every morning um, before answering any emails, before any writing, before any phone calls, I would go to the beach, which I just happened to be living on this island, Salt Spring Island in Canada and BC, amazing place. And the spirit brought me, I mean, I had my, ho my house fell away. I was in an Airbnb at the start of the pandemic. The woman needed her home back. So somehow or other, this path of uncertainty led me to this amazing tiny house that was at the edge of the sea. And I would go to the sea every day and I would just get on my hands and knees. And you know, I make altars. So I made a little altar, just like a five minute little something. And I gave thanks for my life. And I listened to the place and I found my feet again. And then every day I just would write and write and write, which you know what that's like. <laughs> And this book was born from a troubled time and from a changing time. And I see it as a pathfinder through change, a way through change to, to change gracefully, to change with meaning, um, to change intuitively, to transform with change. So. It's part of what I love about your work is that you're not saying this is the one way to do ritual to create change no. <laughs> <laughs> that there's a, a a learning through the book that we can all embody that as humans we need to learn again how to grieve and how to let go yeah and so often because we don't know how to grieve we're holding on to the past like you said and that old identity or that old way and then we're stuck without being able to really open into the new. Yeah. And so the book is such a beautiful bridge to, to show there's many ways to let go yeah. with love, with gratitude. And there's not, there's not the right way. There's our way 
to create and to bring that in. And that ritual is already in our bones. We just need permission. I think your book is such a beautiful permission and also honoring of the many different types of transitions that we all are in and opening our eyes of where we have transitions and then other people's wisdom of how they've navigated transitions yeah. as well. I interviewed, I interviewed over 250 people for this book. Um, I, I do want to say, I, you know, I do talk similarly to the, to the book that you were inspired to write in your 20s. I, I mean, I do in this book call it a ritual recipe book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the best way that I can talk about ritual to ritual curious people, which is who I really hope reads this book, is like it's it's making it's like making food and there's no right way to do it. You can have a, you can have a recipe, but I don't know, the way I cook is a little pinch of this and a little dab of that. And then you taste it and you try it and you see what you adjust it because everyone has different tastes. And so ritual is very similar. You know, it's like I give these recipes. I wrote over 75 rituals for this book. And I also encourage my reader, I say, if it doesn't work for you, try something else. If you don't want to burn it, bury it. If you don't want to rip it, you know, put it together. Like, try what works for you. And also, there's no guarantee that it's going to, quote unquote, work. You know, rituals are alive. They're active. They're dynamic. And they take a lot of um, listening, just like making food. You know, it's a lot of tasting. So, you know, and, and the other thing I want to say also is I'm very, um, I, I approached the topic of cultural appropriation in the book pretty immediately. Um, you know, so much of this book is based on my own culture. I'm raised Jewish and we, my culture has taught me so much about how to do ritual beautifully. Yes. So much. And so I'm standing on the shoulders of thousands of years of ritual. I'm, I'm pulling from my own tradition um, and I'm reinventing it for a modern person. And you don't have to be Jewish, of course. Um, however, ritual, there are people that appropriate rituals and steal them. And I have a hard stop in the book about that. And the way I talk about it is also like food. You know, we are in our modern culture starving for meaning. We're so hungry for meaning that we're when we're in the presence of a people or a person who is, has made a beautiful, meaningful feast of ritual, some of us are so hungry that we can't help but want to eat it or take it or, you know, really steal it. Um, and so I really encourage my reader in this book, you know, to act with caution and discernment and... With that said, ritual doesn't belong, that function of ritual doesn't belong to anyone. And as an artist, what I'm really activating in my reader is check in with your creative, innate, imaginative being. Rituals need our creations, our creativity, our imaginations. Um, if you know the, the, the mythopoetic um, author, Michael Mead, He's an amazing human. He's, he has a great definition of ritual. He says, rituals are partially remembered and partially made up from what's at, at hand. 
And I love that because it's like a recipe, right? Like you can have a recipe that's like partially passed down through your family and then you make up the parts that don't, you don't like, or that you have in your cabinets or, you know, what you find in the grocery store. So rituals are partially remembered. They're partially passed down. They're partially inspired. And then they're also, they need our imaginations. They need us to create and keep them alive. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I love that. And it's really helpful for us to orient that deep respect for different peoples and how their tradition of ritual has been passed down. Yeah. And understanding that what we're learning how to do is, I believe is, and I know that you're saying this is be in touch with the land that we're on now and the place that we are now. And that each of us, regardless of our background, has ceremony, ritual that we can pull on and remember and honor. And I think honor our ancestors, even if you don't know who your ancestors are, you, you have tastes, you have flavors, you have knowings that can be pulled and explored and then expanded into what's needed now. Exactly. Yeah. And really, you know, the, the book is based on the premise of moments of endings and beginnings. And all of us are, if you're a human being, you're constantly at that doorway of things ending and things beginning all the time. And I call these in the book threshold moments. You know, they're moments of you're leaving something, you're arriving to something. Something is exiting, something's arriving. Um, and these are, these are moments to pivot to pivot towards ritual or to pivot towards the sacred and to not let these moments, to not take them for granted, you know, to pause and to recognize something's changing. And that's the mechanism to remember. You know, uh, if you know the author Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, she says an amazing thing about ceremony. She says, our elders tell us that ceremony is our way to remember to remember. And I love that, you know, because being a human being, it's so easy to forget. I mean, it's, it, that's human is forgetting, right? And we have these big and small moments in, of our lives where things change. And though, but they're opportunities to remember. If we don't take them, then we just keep on living our lives and we're, and we're forgetting. We're forgetting who we are. We're forgetting where we are. We're forgetting where we're going. But if we can use those moments where something changes, right? Like you leave your job, you move to a new home, you know, you're, you become an uncle, you retire, your baby, you wean your baby. I mean, all of these moments, these are opportunities to remember. Remember what? Well, that's the question. To remember who we are, where we are, what's important what's meaningful and you know really most importantly what's no longer the same you know and that's how we change is we we have to see change to change yeah absolutely and we're such a culture of beginnings of the desire oh. for more and more and more <laughs> beginnings and that hunger of the new and the oh yeah 
the, the places where we can distract ourselves from feeling, from integrating, from letting the past go, from grief, like all the things that we distract ourselves with, the new and shiny. And yeah. that's what's so powerful about ritual is that it asks us to look at the beginning and look at the ending. Yeah. And that those transitions that we take the time to be with the endings. Yeah. Well, they're they're the same door. Yeah. Right? The door, I don't know if you can see my hand. The door swings in both directions. So, and there's a lot of moments in our lives, you know, in all the people I interviewed, there are so many moments where people couldn't tell if it was a beginning or an ending. For instance, like I interviewed a lot of mothers and birthing parents who weaned their babies. You know, is that a beginning or an ending? It's both. Is that joy or grief? It's both. Do Are you ready for it or are you not ready for it? It's both. You know, and so oftentimes, like in our culture, we are told we have to choose. Like it needs to be like, I'm sad or I'm happy. I'm ready or I'm not ready. This is I accept this or I resist this. But a lot of endings and beginnings are both, you know, they're relief and grief. So, you know, every celebration, every new beginning isn't is the end of something, too. And every ending is the beginning of something. And ritual lets us hold space for both, not just for one. It hold, it's, it's devoted to the wholeness of our experience, not just to, you know, honoring one part of our experience. It wants us to be whole. And it brings us back into the circle that the, the beginnings and endings connect, like you said so beautifully, and that the ritual holds our hand to help us step out of linear. So we're yeah. so like, there's a beginning, and then there's a line and then there's the end. And if you do it all the right way, the end is the way you think it's supposed to be. And that it's, it's a straight shot. Right? What you're talking about is, an, is it actually people get confused between the word routine and ritual. Mm. And routine has, if, if you're just, if you're just meeting me for the first time, um, I'm an etymology junkie, AKA nerd. And so I love words. <laughs> and routine has the word route in it, right? So they these are moments that routines are things that help us get from point A to point B. Thank God. I need my morning routines. I need to, you know, brush my teeth, get in the shower, drink my coffee, get to my desk. Like they help us get to where we're going. Ritual has a totally different objective. It's not interested at all in A to B. You know, rituals have a beginning, middle, and, and, and an ending for sure. But they're interested in meaning. They're interested in, in creating more meaning. They're not interested in getting you to a certain destination. They're actually interested in you stopping in the midst of something and acknowledging what's happening. They have no destination-mindedness at all. You know, and, and if you bring that sense of a destination to a ritual, sometimes you don't get it. I've been a part of many failed rituals. You know, but sometimes when you allow there to be enough space, something magical happens. 
your the ritual is alive and you know sometimes if you're with witnesses you can all feel that and you can feel the spirit moving through you you can feel yourself emoting you can feel you know and and all rituals by the way have to be done you can't think a ritual you have to do it with your hands with your feet with your mouth with your belly you know and you do something in the book I call symbolic action, which is you're breaking something, burning something, burying something, tearing something, submerging something to represent externally what's going on or what's been going on internally. You're, you're moving into the new chapter by marking it through a symbolic action. And that's routines have no interest in symbolism. They have interest in functionality and doing something. So totally different streams. I love that. So clarifying to, to honor the routines and the ways that they help us create more ease can, I should say, can help us create more ease and they can also numb us out. And ritual is the place of breaking things open Mm -hmm. and, and settling into like there isn't right way to do this there's what's needed in this being and and I so agree with you Dave that that place of getting out of our heads we're so we so want to sometimes just think things through and be able to figure it out and the difference between that and dropping into the body and letting the body move express what's happening inside helps us to go into more intimacy with ourselves and with everything around us. Because so often for me, when I do ritual, I'm always looking at what elements am I bringing in? What's getting burned? What's getting washed? What's getting sung? Mm -hmm. That there's that connection to the elements, to the land, to the emotional body, to the sky, whatever wants to be part of the ceremony and that so often too when we let go and i've had so many spectacular rituals where i'm like i know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> and i've done a lot of of personal ritual but also a lot of public ritual yeah and i always tell people like you can have the best planned out like this per whether it's a wedding or a yeah. ceremony of something like <laughs> right like you can have it planned out to the t and something's going to go wrong in quotes yep. like it's never going to go the way you think and that's where the magic comes in yep yep and i think that's so true in life as well of like when we can let go of it's supposed to look like this and know that there's we're in ceremony constantly yeah and can we let the magic come into the ceremony of our lives? You know, in a lot of the rituals I'm in the book, I'm constantly encouraging my reader to, to linger at the beginning and to linger at the end of the ritual. And I'm, I'm really saying, don't jump to the thing you think is the thing. Ling especially if you're inviting people to the ritual, linger in the space like, let there be space where you all settle in. There's small talk. There's connection. You can feel the energy kind of condolent, you know, like collect itself. And same thing with the end. Like you did it. Don't rush to end it because you don't particularly know if it's over. 
you know? And so let the lingering come in slowly and leave slowly. And because you're, you're trying to court something, it's not an on and off switch, you know, it's a, it's alive. And, and the more that you can allow yourself to arrive, to slow down, to arrive, to really settle in, to make a beautiful space, to connect with the people that are there, the more chance your ritual has of getting off the ground, you know? Um, and I want to just say something real quick to your comment on place um, and ritual in place. It reminded me of a ritual I wrote in the book on the chapter for receiving a diagnosis. And um, the ritual is called the earth and sky ritual. Mm -hmm. And it came from a conversation I had with a physician who told me she's given out thousands of diagnoses in her, in her career. And she's, and I said, what do they all have in common? She said, they all have in common that the, that the person I'm giving to, to them feels like they can't breathe in their doc, in the doctor's office. They feel like the walls are closing in on them and they can't breathe. And she's, and I said, well, what would you want your patients to feel? And she said, fresh air. Mm -hmm. So the ritual had when like you know within the hour of getting a diagnosis i encourage my reader the earth and sky ritual is basically laying on the ground and i walk them through let's see i walk them through um four different acknowledgements accessing the earth and the sky and the their and breath and their stomach and heart, accessing different parts of them and essentially grounding them back into the earth and allowing them to really gaze up at the sky and to feel that spaciousness again. And so it's employing the earth um, and the sky and the body to reorient um, because the medical machine just moves so quickly into, you know, fix it. And the people are also, you know, you walk into a doctor's office, if you've ever been diagnosed, you walk into a doctor's office, one person, and you leave a totally different person. And there's stress and anxiety and, you know, and the sense of like, what do I do now? And, and there has to be this moment where you acknowledge you're no longer the health, the person you thought was healthy. You're now in a different chapter and it needs you to approach that moment with ground, with space, with centeredness, and ritual is the way that we can get there. Yeah, beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. And I think too, this is a little bit of a jump and so we'll come back, but I have tears in my eyes because I was remembering when my dad, he'd had leukemia for two years, you know, been through so much treatment. And there was a point where um, they were like, you relapsed, it's done. Like there's nothing more to do. And this physician's assistant that we were working with was so beautiful because he just said to my dad, you know, there's a time when the ocean's going out and your time is now to show, he knew exactly what to say to get my dad's attention. It's time for you to show your daughters how to die. Mm. Wow. And I was like blessing this man. And wow. yeah, yeah. And my dad just snapped because he got it. He was like, that's my job. And so it was so beautiful and poignant because we went to get um, yogurt and that was part of the ritual. 
And I remember just sitting in the car, eating yogurt with my dad, knowing that there's nothing to do, but just honor and love each other. And that moment, like sitting in the car with him eating yogurt was this phenomenal ritual and, and honoring of my family, the way that my family could do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something also with our, in our relationships that we can deepen our relationship to ritual and also open to where is there already ritual happening that may not look like what we think it should look like, but that is the, the weave of the way that the people that we're with are in ceremony. I'll give you an example. I'd love that. Yeah. So I spoke to so many parents in these interviews and I was writing the chapter on bedtime rituals. And of course, you know, I wanted one of them to be for kids. Um, and I spoke to so many parents that are like bedtime's the worst time because they read one book. It turns into 10 books. They want, you know, the kid wants to turn into 20 books and they're looking to get their kid to bed. And this is a dance so many parents have. And to me, it had the threads of ritual already there. Right. So I wrote this ritual of, around going to bed, which is, I think there's seven rounds in the book. I can't remember, but I think there's seven rounds. Each round asks the kid a question. For instance, like what's a new, what is a new, who's a new person you met today? And the kid gets to reflect on their day. And then at the end of the reflection, the parent turns something off. So they close the blind or they tuck them in or they put the nightlight on or they do something around the whole thing ending, the day ending. And there's seven rounds of that. Mm -hmm. And by the last question, the parent is at the door and the last thing is they close the door. And to me, that's like a very sweet ritual that a lot of parents already do. They're already trying to get their kid to bed. The difference is, is that this one is reflective and there's a choreography to it, right? So it's asking the kid to reflect. It's not fighting them. You're still lingering, which is what the kid wants. Um, But you're doing these choreographies ritualistically in order to, yeah, go down. Yeah, it's sweet. It's really (laughs) sweet. And I love that you you took in all this information because that's, you know, you like, you didn't like, I'm just going to make up a ritual that's going to work. You gathered the data and the information and then let that settle through your body to bring back out of what's actually needed here. Yeah. Yeah. Slow disconnection. Yeah. Honoring ceremony over time. That's not two steps. But that's seven. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Thank you. And that listening, that depth of listening that you have. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, every single interview I had for this book, every single one, I swear, I was like either fully bawling or teary eyed um, because people were so generous about telling their stories and offering insight about either what they did or what they didn't do and wish they did. You know, and it was really a a journey to interview so many people about such intimate aspects of their lives, you know, and and things that some of them don't talk about ever. For instance, I wrote a whole chapter on aging childlessly, 
Because one woman said to me at the end of her interview, she said, I don't know if you're thinking about this, but can I plead with you? She said, I'm in my late 40s. I made a decision recently to not have a child. And she said, this has been one of the biggest life decisions I've ever made. And I feel like there's no, there's no real way to honor that. And so then I put out a call and I interviewed like 20 people who were choosing to age childlessly. And it's like a real need that people have that they're carrying a lot of grief around. And there's nothing that we do to mark those moments. And so I decided based on listening to those conversations to create a whole chapter based on, you know, offering people a real way to acknowledge that, to grieve and to reaffirm their commitment to their life, independent of having children. Yeah, so powerful because there's so many places that people feel left behind in a way yeah because there's the normal like if you're normal i'm putting this in way quotes then this is the trajectory of your life and you know very few of us actually live that trajectory or even want to live that trajectory but because of the hallmark rituals i mean the truth is there are very few rituals that are like there's christmas and there's birthdays and funerals in like the the massive, like, like I'm doing the biggest, biggest picture. Like we're allowed to have those rituals. Yeah, and weddings. And weddings, right. Oh, and right for, for a lot of people, like the wedding is the one thing. That's like mm-hmm. your day and then the rest of it's over. Um, and to- I didn't write about weddings in this book. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, plenty of that's written about, right? Yeah. Right? Over-exaggerated. Yeah. yeah, I wanted a, I wanted a cap. For instance, here's a, here's a transition that so many of us go through and there's nothing, which is losing a pet. Mm. It's like my last dog, when she died, I was, it was like, it was as intensely, I was in, grieving her as intensely as I grieved my dad. And my culture, my Jewish culture, nothing. Wow, that's surprising because that's a rich, nothing. right? Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing to do when when grieving an animal and and the the Western culture that we live in. Nothing. Not only nothing, but an insulting. Like it's insult. By the way, I like two days after Rudy died, she was a miniature schnauzer. She was the best. She was the best. <laughs> I I had to cancel a flight, and I called the airline company. And I said, I have a death in the family. I need to cancel the flight. And they said, not a problem. Um, we're happy to do that. You know, you just need to send us the death certificate. And I said, uh, I'm okay. I'm probably just need to call the vet. And they said, oh, it's a dog. I said, yeah. And she goes, well, that, that's not a family member. Sorry, we can't, we can't offer you that refund. That was like a stab in the heart for me. Because it's it's our culture's way of basically saying you you should not be grieving this, yeah, not a big deal, yeah. So you know, I created three different rituals for losing a pet. One of them, by the way, do you want to see one? Two, yes, yes, yes. I'm just plug so, my computer back in. So when Rudy, so for 16 years, I had a leash that Rudy and I would go on dog walks with. And we use that leash every day. It had the wears and tears of everyday use. 
And then one day, the day after she died, it had no purpose. It just sat by the front door, the leash. This, this object that was very, very based in routine lost its purpose. So I turned an object of routine into an object of ritual. And here it is. I don't know if you can see that. Yes. But a couple days after she died, I did a, a ritual where I cut, I cut the leash. And in my tradition, when someone dies, we tear clothing. And sometimes we, if we don't want to tear our clothes, we tear a, a ribbon and wear it over our heart to, to acknowledge that um, losing someone is, is like someone being torn from us. Um, and so I wore this leash, this torn leash over my heart on my jacket for a year. And it reminded me of my love for her. And it also was a conversation starter where people would come up to me and say, what is that? And I'd get to remember her through their questions. And yeah, and that's a small ritual that's very accessible, doesn't require a lot, but it's very meaningful. And it helps to mark the change from, you know, someone being in your life every day in the intimacies of your life to not being there anymore. And your whole life changes. My routines change dramatically. So losing a pet is another example of a life transition that you know, no one talks about, but, every, but those of us that have pets that have died, we're, you know, we're suffering. Absolutely. And there's so many pieces of that, of places where there isn't an understanding or holding unless somebody's had that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what's so beautiful about the book is you've done such a, a holding of so many different types of experiences that everybody who reads the book will resonate with something. And if they didn't, I remember us talking earlier, like before, I think you'd written the book, but one of the things that I remember talking about was the idea, this isn't a book that you start at the beginning and that you're going to read it all the way through. It's a resource. It's a cookbook. Yes. Who reads a cookbook? <laughs> you keep it on your shelf when you're hungry and you want to make something, you take it off. This book is the same thing. When you're going through a big change or a small change, Take it off the shelf and use it. Go to that chapter. You know, if you're, if, if like I wrote a chapter on losing a friend, you know, you're going through a major breakup with a friend. What do we do? It's a big deal. I almost lost a best friend this past year. You know, we recovered. But so you take it off the shelf and you say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm losing a friend. And then you go to that chapter and you read it. And then there's a ritual at the end of the chapter. So it's, yes, it's a resource book. It's a recipe book. It's a cookbook. If you want to read the whole book, go for it <laughs> from cover to cover. But really it's there for every moment that you need. Yeah. And it's both a, a re, what's the right word? A returning of a shifting of perception into being in life that's more connected to meaning and opening into letting go and beginnings. And it's a resource. So it's both. And I think that's what's so powerful about it is that yeah. it gives us permission to live more in a ceremonial way and make more meaning in our lives, even with things that maybe 
not held in an honoring way, we can go, oh, this is impactful to me. Even if nobody else understands this or only people that have been through this experience, but this is impactful to me. I just got a new car. I'm, I'm making something up. Like, yeah, no, totally. Ritual, like, how do you integrate that into your life and let go of the meaning that the old car was to you and step mm -hmm. into the meaning that the new car is? Or, or a new job or a new home. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Or and a new friendship or so many things or a new relationship. So in, in my research for the book, um, I did quite a bit of research around this, this ethnographer from like 150 years ago named Arnold Van Genep. And he wrote a book called Rites of Passage, which is very, I mean, it's like the foundational book on initiations. And in the book, he coined a phrase pivoting towards the sacred. I love that pivot towards the sacred. And the essence of what that means is that anything could be an opportunity to pivot, right? And that just requires our capacity to choose to do it. For instance, we talked about routines earlier. My, one of my routines is drinking coffee. I do it every morning, right? What would it look like if I pivoted towards the sacred? If that wasn't just a routine moment, it became a moment of engaging the sacred, right? The same thing with opening the door to my home, right? That could just be a moment of rushing inside or it can mean something, right? The same thing with eating a meal or taking a shower. Or the, all these little tiny moments, they're opportunities to make meaning. And that's the crucial word, by the way, is the word make. As an artist, you know, I might have all these great ideas, but it doesn't become art until it's made. Same thing with ritual. We make ritual. So, you know, pivoting towards the sacred, one way we do that is that we make something. We make the meaning. It doesn't just happen. And this is like, I think, one of the most core functions of being a human being is that we have that capacity to make meaning. It's such an amazing capacity. You know, I'm not sure any other species on the planet has that capacity, but we do. You know, things can either mean nothing or mean everything, and we decide. Mm. Okay, I want everyone to just pause for a moment and take that in and have you talk a little bit more about that day of that place of... Whew that every moment we're at choice to make routine or, you know, the way that I think about it so often is that we're really geared to compare ourselves, beat ourselves up, distract, yeah, um, have the list of all the things I should be doing, all the ways that I'm not who I want to be. Like we tend to make I don't know what the right word is. I'm sure you'll have like just to, to make more separation yeah. with ourself and with the world. And so this idea of making meaning, it's not like it's going to happen. And I think that's a critical thing is so often as humans, we're like, okay, when is the magic going to happen to me? Yeah. <laughs> Which is the old wedding thing. Like, right. When is the beloved going to come in and change everything instead of every day? How do I connect with the beloved? Exactly. Of yeah. Life. I mean, I'm having a memory right now. Maybe it's, it'll be helpful to share. <clears throat> I was taking a walk not too long ago with my cousin 
and we were in a park and he's going through a hard time. And we came to just a small footbridge in the park and we started to walk over it. And I said, I was like, stop. He's like, why? And I said, because we're at a bridge and this can mean nothing. This is just maybe like we're walking over a little dried creek bed or this can mean everything. And he's like, tell me more. And I said, well, you're going through a major change right now. And you're crossing over from the person you were to the person you are becoming. So what do you want this moment to be? I said, how about this? I'll go to the other side of the bridge. You announce to me what you're crossing into. Aloud so that I can hear it and everyone can hear it. And then cross and I will, pardon my French, fucking celebrate you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that was a very, you know, easy, accessible moment. It meant a lot to him. It helped him. You know, he's really given me a lot of feedback, but also it took me being able to see that as an opportunity. Right. And I pivoted towards the sacred in that moment. Like this can mean something. Let's employ the bridge. Let's not just cross over it. This means something. And so we, I made that into a meaningful moment. Here's the thing. Everyone listening, you can too. It's not just me. I'm just inspiring you. You know, you can make any moment into a meaningful moment. You know, before I, I've been doing podcasts up the wazoo the last couple of days, but before every one, I light a candle because this is an important moment. This is not just you know, kind of a routine thing. This is, this means something. So every moment can be that. It's just a a matter of, are we turning towards or away? And really, are we turning towards or away from our life? That's the question. And the turning towards or away includes turning towards our grief, our loss, our separation, our gratitude, our blessings, that we t- we're turning towards the sacred in all of the experiences. Exactly. Yeah. In, in the book, I quote the author Bio Okamalafe. Um, he coined a phrase, which I absolutely love, um, talking about witnessing. He calls it witnessing, W-I-T-H, witnessing. And he basically says, you know, the capacity of a witness is to stay with what's happening, not to turn away from it. You know, real witness, especially in a ritual situation, is to stay with if it's trouble, if it's grief, if it's unsettling, to not turn away, but to stay with it until it fully expresses itself. And I, you know, that's really, um, I love it so much that I like, I spoke about it quite a bit in the book because I really see it as a core function of witnessing, um, not turning towards, but staying with allowing whatever's there to be there. Even if it's painful, even if it's scary, even if it's unsettling, you know, the ritual comes with a container. So there's a sense of, uh, heldness with ritual. So you can stay, you know, it's it's not like it's totally going everywhere. A ritual has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So when you're inside of it, you have to stay with what's happening. 
you know, and it's a great practice for us in these times, you know, to not turn away from the sorrow, to not turn away from the change, to not turn away from the fear, but to stay with it and to let it change in that, just like it, you would with a child. You know, they're going through a hard time. Stay with them. Yeah. One more story. Can I share a quick story? Please, yes. So as you know, and now everyone knows, because um, I wrote about in the book, my mother has dementia. And um, and she's in a memory care facility. And she often has hard moments because she doesn't know where she is a lot of the time. And uh, in a recent trip to her, um, I witnessed her waking up crying. And she was going through it. You know, she just didn't know where she was and she doesn't, she didn't know who I was. And it was this really interesting moment where I got to sit at the edge of her bed and stay with her and remind her that she's loved, remind her that I love her, remind her that she's safe. And even giving her back like wisdom that she gave me when I was a kid. And really reminding her, I'm not, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm here with you. And I got to see her through kind of like she dipped down into the grief. And then she came back up again into the remembering. And it's all because, you know, in some ways I didn't abandon her. And she didn't feel alone in that. You know, and um, and I really I see that as a, a real function that we all need these days is to practice staying with the trouble, whatever it is. And and like you did with your mother, not demanding that she remember who you are, which is, I think, where most people would want to go to really listen. What does this human need in oh, this yeah. time to feel safe? How do I help craft and hold that where she is, not where I'd like her to be, Yes, but where she is now? And that's the, the beauty that you're bringing through the book is giving people the inspiration and the capacity. I know having touched the book and read the book, and for those of you that are just joining, it's called Hello, Goodbye, and we'll hold it up and I'll tell you how to get it. We're going to do a little giveaway in a second. Yay, there it is. Hello, goodbye. <laughs> that because the book was written through the fire of your own experience of so many things changing in yeah. your life, like that, the richness and the depth and the capacity that you have, I feel woven through the book. So anybody just holding that book and opening to any page is going to feel that. So mm -hmm. y'all, I cannot express enough just go get the book <laughs> so it's called hello goodbye it is now available because today yay it's its birthday happy birthday, hello, birthday. Goodbye. today is the launch day and i get my copies i gotta notice that they're coming tonight so i'm oh, excited yeah um, so i'm going to be giving away five copies of the book yeah, and here's what we're going to do since we're coming towards the end of the time just to make it simple. Is anybody who's watching live right now, hi. If you want to write into hello at warriorgoddess.com and in the subject write 
hello, goodbye, <laughs> and the first five people. Okay, we'll just make it simple. So first five people, hello at warriorgoddess.com. Hello, goodbye in the subject. My team's going to be like, what is happening? <laughs> what a generous offer, Heather Ash. It's so sweet of you to treat your audience with such kindness and, and with such generosity. Oh, of course. I love that. Yeah. And it's a ceremony to ritual to honor you and how much I appreciate you and honor your work and the beauty that you're bringing into the world. And I'm so grateful for this book. Thank Hello. You. Goodbye, everyone. Go purchase it. And even if you get a copy from me, go purchase a copy for your friend. Yes. And and this is a just a, an author to the world and to a fellow author. It's hard, my loves, being an author because you spend years crafting something that you put your entire soul and tremendous amounts of work and like there's so much that goes into crafting a book that then you give away. Then you offer it up to see what that book now wants to do. Um, and so it's really, really important for all of us to support authors and artists and so day. I'm so grateful to be able to just hold the celebration of this day with you. So thank you so much for coming on live and honoring us with your wisdom and for birthing this book. Yay, Papa, you're a you Yay, auntie. Thank you for, for being such an amazing auntie and holding this book in your hands and arms and, and passing this book around to the community. I mean, you know, I really, I wrote it, I wrote this last night to my audience. I said, you know, writing a book is a very solitary experience, but publishing a book is a community endeavor. And I really feel like, you know, it's this amazing shift where you're going from something very internal, you know, it was just me for like two years. And then suddenly now it's like talking about it and passing it around and calling in allies and midwives and you know, and it's like gathering people around this book. And um, it's fascinating to, you know, to feel that shift of like this internal thing coming out into the world. Yeah, so yeah. true. So yeah. true. Yeah. So we need it. It's we here. <laughs> yes, it's done. So happy birthday to the book. Hello. Yeah. Goodbye. And everyone go get yourself a copy and get it anywhere um yay because it's now in the world hello goodbye and much love to you day thank you and any last share that you want to bring forward sure i mean i think that it would be amazing if those people listening actually maybe at the end of this podcast you know stepped away from the computer for a minute and pivoted towards the sacred in some way, even if that's drinking a glass of water and asking yourself the question, like, what am I renewing right now? Something like that, or lighting a candle and what am I re-inspired by, you know? And so just doing a small ritual in some way to spark your day again, to remember again, what's important. That would be an amazing end to this interview. Yes. And may we all remember to make meaning with love, with creativity, with play. And let's just all 
honor this moment as we close. So everyone imagine that you're holding a candle. And I always love like hold the candle in your hand and imagine that you have this beautiful warm candle in your hand. And maybe you have one physical like days grabbing his. Mine's right here. Candle. So hold your candle. And as we bring these candles, I want you just all of us to imagine that we're standing around day and around hello, goodbye, and his beautiful book and this offering that he's brought all of us and that spirit has brought through day that we're just saying thank you and gratitude to you for being the, the one that birthed this beautiful book that all of us can enjoy. So thank you, Day, and thank you to each of you. May you take this candle and honor something inside of yourself as well and continue to bring that into your days, all the days to come. Mwah. Love you so much, sweetheart. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that inspiration from your 20s so that I could birth the book. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. <laughs> I feel this, this like deep sense of completion. <laughs> so I love that we can just, the inspiration gets passed around. Love Somebody's going to do it somewhere. I love it. And you've done it beautifully, like better than I could have ever done it. So mwah. thanks for those of you that joined live. Much love to you. Take good care, Day. Good care. Thank you so much. Bye.